You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 46 called Curated Collections to Drive Student-Centered Learning. In this episode, Geis and I discuss some of the benefits of curating electronic resources for your students and share some popular edtech tools that make it easy. We close the episode with some project and lesson ideas specifically designed for resource curation. This is one you definitely don't want to miss, so check it out. Welcome back. Uh, this is episode 46 of Got Tech, the podcast. Nick, how are you feeling today? Um, feeling pretty good. Coming, This is um, just coming off a really great weekend of weather. Kind of got to relax and refresh a little bit. And that's always kind of the best way to start off. Also, sort of kind of finally getting out of that beginning of the year, weird schedule days and assemblies. And kind of, I think everyone is sort of settling into their routine. So it's starting to feel nice. And for me, it starts to feel like I can focus a little bit more on some stuff that I, that I want to do and, and accomplish this year so it's a it's a good vibe right now right on and let's just uh kind of recap the last several weeks we've been talking a lot about student-centered learning and uh this is one of our topics that we really enjoy talking about but i mean we talked about ed tech tools that we can use we talked about different methods of student-centered learning Today, we're going to bring a collection of stuff. You see what I did there? Collection of stuff. Oh, clever. Regarding student-centered learning to our audience. We're going to talk about how to curate a collection of resources for your students to drive student-centered learning. Yeah, it's kind of weird because I wasn't... I don't think it would be that long ago where if you're a, you know, a student in school, you really only had like two places to get information. You could read the textbook... Which I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how you were, but I hated reading textbooks. I barely liked reading at all in school. It was something that developed for me later on. Let alone a textbook about math. It just always seemed so dry to me. Or you heard it from your teacher, and that's just kind of where we got stuff. So I think we're entering a, a new age uh, where the internet has all of this content that's available, and a lot of it is uh, in a in a much more interesting and much more accessible way. But kind of the downside of that is a lot of the quality of the information that you can. Can find online is is not as good. So again, in this student-centered context, I think we also have to mention that the role of the teacher sort of shifts from someone who is now not the, uh, as the term we use all the time, the sage on the stage, but someone who kind of curates and brings together information from a ton of different sources, but you kind of have to make sure that it's of high quality. Yeah, and, and going along with that, and I know I appreciate this topic being in the media center and tech specialist position of uh, fake news news. A lot of times our teachers, what I hear is that student-centered learning takes too long. The project-based learning takes too long. Problem-based learning, case studies, all this stuff takes too long. Well, one of the ways that we can kind of bring student-centered learning back on the playing field is by curating our resources so we know that they are the type of resources that students will need to use and we know the quality of it. And uh, today that's what we're going to talk about is basically how can we make sure that student-centered learning 
isn't eating up too much of our time in the classroom? How how are we getting the most bang for our buck? And I'm not saying that the learning to differentiate between fake news and unreliable resources, that lesson isn't appropriate. I'm just saying that in a a time and space where we need to eliminate the amount of time it takes to do a project, the curation of resources, you know, needs to be on point, and that's a way to level it out. Absolutely, and kind of just in thinking about this, um, I put together just a quick list of some stuff that maybe a teacher should consider when they're curating resources, whether it's like a sort of an all-purpose, okay, now you're you're in my chemistry class for the whole year, and here's like this, uh, this bank of things you can go to at any point for anything you need help with, or like you just mentioned, maybe there's a specific project and you know that there's certain things you want them to see. So one thing to keep in mind as a teacher, and we can go through these quick guys, so I'm not sure if you want to just sort of throw stuff in if I miss anything here, but got to keep in mind who your audience is. Think about the, the grade level or the sophistication level of the, the resources you post there. I know when I started doing this early on on my website, a lot of the times I would put stuff that was just weight like from professional chemistry journals and it was not super helpful. I found it interesting, but then I kind of forgot like these are high school sophomores, 15, 16 year olds. They may not be interest, interested in it at that level. And if even if they were, they they weren't necessarily understanding it because it was so highbrow. I've also put together some things like YouTube videos mostly that are way too simplistic and then it kind of seems boring. So I think you definitely have to keep that in mind. Um, keeping things high quality and, and relevant anytime you can relate stuff to, you know, to your audience of students is great and make sure that it's it's got to look good it's got to look professional there's a lot of stuff out there that i think maybe was done 10 15 20 years ago online it doesn't look super current it doesn't look super high quality so that the better things can appear i think it kind of pulls students in more if you do have a collection of resources that you use from year to year you got to make sure to keep it up to date things change really fast online a, a great resource five years ago might not even exist now maybe the hosting ran out and the people who were uh, curating that aren't aren't doing it anymore and if your students go to your curation resource page and they know half the stuff they click on isn't even available they're going to stop using it so it's just something you do have to sort of keep an eye on and then the last thing I thought of was keep it simple. I always like to say that five good resources, it's better than 45 okay ones. Because then, you know, if there's a whole bunch of things that, as a student that I have to look through, I'm not, I'm not going to do it, especially if I know half of them aren't going to help me anyway. So just keep it simple, keep it quality. And at least for me, those are like the main things I thought of. Yeah, I loved your last one, just keeping it simple. Five good resources are better than 45 okay ones. And the reason is, I will tell you, dealing with multiple resources can often overwhelm students. When they see a whole bunch, they think that they need to click on every single one. And that in itself, you're giving them two. We said this when we did our uh, choice boards. If you get over three or four different activities that they could choose from, they're spending the whole first class period looking at those three or four choices. And that takes away from time that they have to complete that activity. So you talked a lot about the resources of a collection based on like the data in that are specific to a, a project that you're doing. I also want to say that curation sparks creativity and people think that this limits creativity, but I, I beg to differ. So what I mean by curation of resources that's going to spark creativity is you can have different types of tech tools or resources that they may use in order to create the product based off their research. So what I like to do is I like to have a, um, a collection of resources all laid out. And I'll add to these as students bring me new ones or I learn about new ones throughout the school year that these are ed tech tools that I know about 
that are that will give you a positive learning experience that are safe to use especially if you're dealing with uh, students under the age of 13. And I will curate a list of those tools. And I would simply say, okay, hey, guess what? This is your assignment. Here are a list of curated resources to help you with your research. But then you could choose from these ed tech resources. And I always put a other there. So students can bring me new ones. And they often do. Uh, I know we are a Google district. However, some students love working with Apple. And as long as they get it to a place where I can view it or whatever the project determines, like if students are going to view it, as long as they get it to that point, sure, use iMovie or use this uh, type of resource. All right. So by curating these EdTech tools and some of these other resources that don't really uh, have anything to do with the research, but has to do with the product, we're promoting student choice, which will promote buy-in, which will promote student creativity. You can follow Got Tech outside the podcast at gottech.com or on Twitter at WeGotTech. Nick, one of the, my favorite things to do is uh, when I have some downtime and Sometimes this is like when I'm riding a public transportation or if one of my uh, athletic teams has an away event, I like to browse my phone and try to look up curated collections that teachers have made for different subject areas. And one of the things that I really like doing is trying to look for those free spots where we can get a lot of, I don't know, ed tech tools, uh, common collective, you know, the free stuff. So how do most teachers relay this information to other educators? And I will tell you the number one thing that is starting to take over is Wakelet because of its infusion with Flipgrid. And uh, Wakelet is a platform that allows you to create collections and share it with other teachers. You could also keep them private and share them with just your students, or if you wanted to collaborate, me and Nick on a certain collection, we could also do that. But we could share it out to everybody. Yeah, it's kind of like, it's probably the biggest one right now, and like you said, especially because of that Flipgrid incorporation. Um, if you've never used Wakelet before, it's I always kind of compare it to Pinterest, but f specifically for sharing educational resources. I know people use it for all kinds of things, but really heavily used by teachers, and it's, it's so simple. You start, they call it a collection, you start a collection, you give it a title, you can add a cover image, all this stuff, make it look super nice, um, and then just add things. There's literally a little plus sign, you click it, and you can put in text, YouTube videos, tweets, bookmarks, images, PDFs, documents. It links straight to your Google Drive, which if you're at Google School is probably the best part. And then my favorite thing is the integration with the new Flipgrid uh, Shorts camera. So if you want your students to add to a board that you are curating, make them part of the curation process. Um, they can, you know, do the Flipgrid option and record themselves uh, speaking. And now and now they become a, sort of like an integral integral part of that, which I think is kind of a cool aspect. I also like uh, the Flipgrid shorts for whoever's making that collection to kind of introduce the collection. This is what you're going to find in here. I think if more people would do that, they could more easily see if that collection is going to be relevant to them. But the fact that we can make a collection, call it something, and then kick it out to many educators, that's how we educators can help each other, by making these quality collections for everyone to view. Because this research, and this is kind of what Nick and I try to do with this podcast, is we try to do the research uh, of these ed tech tools, bring them to you, 
And then um, after that, try to find useful and meaningful ways of incorporating that into your classroom. So really, Wakelet is a very good way for us to relay information via what we talk about in our podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And so there's that professional aspect of it. And then one thing I started doing for my classes this year is just every single unit that we study, I put together a Wakelet collection on that unit and I just post the link to it on my website. My students know that my website is kind of like the main place where they go to access stuff if they're absent or anything else. But now a part of that is this like quick link to the Wakelet collection that features lots of stuff relevant to that particular unit. So we're studying the periodic table right now. They can go there and find links to sorts all sorts of different like interactive periodic tables and articles and lab report help for things specifically like relating to experiments that we've done. Just kind of like a nice looking all in one place for them to access. So Wakelet is definitely one of my top choices here in our in our curation tools. So you you brought up your class site. So we might as well just throw this one out. And this is my favorite hub for everything education is just new Google Sites. And most of the tools that we're going to talk about right now, we can link that back to new Google Sites. That way they don't need to go into Wakelet or they don't need to go into this area where we keep resources. It's all in one general collection. And in my opinion, you always want students to know where to find your stuff. And if you can make your Google site or some people use Weebly, some people use other or other sites that they could put their educational site on. I just think Google Sites is a great spot, especially if you're a Google school. And uh, to be able to collect everything in one area, that's priceless in education. Yeah, we, we talked about it in a recent episode. There's a ton of stuff there specific to Google Sites, but I just want to really quickly second everything I said. I, for me, at least, I can't, I think having everything in like a, a one-stop shop, that's how we described it in the past, uh, a website and for us, Google Sites as the easiest version of that, I think is kind of the best place because if you just get your students used to that, used to that's where they go, okay, I was absent on Tuesday. I know I can go there and I can click on you know, the posted notes that, you know, for that lesson, I can read them over. I can click on the, uh, the, the Google slides presentation that I missed that day, whatever. That's just, that's like the spot. And then you can bring in these other things like the Wakelet and you can post a link for that. So they sort of like everything, it's like curating your curation tools almost, which is kind of a silly way to describe it. But I think it's, it's, it's one of my favorite ways to kind of do things. And if you're working with another colleague, uh, on this collection in Google sites, you can share that site with them and then they can make a copy of it and customize it to their own you know liking which is another big thing so those are two monsters in this curation and i mean monster in the most positive way we're recording this you know around halloween time so i wanted to incorporate that in there nice nice yeah get bonus points for that (laughs) but uh those are the two main ones but let's let's talk at a a smaller level. Google Keep, it's not that much smaller, but that's another great one that I like to use. I use that to curate my resources. When I go to professional developments or when I do a virtual summit or anything like that, I like to keep all my quotes as one one label. I, I like to keep any resources as another. But most of the time after I'm done doing that, I'm going to kick that into my Wakelet collection uh, just because, you know, that's just a lot easier for me. And I could do a, a short just explaining what that resource resources. Uh, and then the last two are uh, one tab, which we talk about a lot, but I use it all the time. Nick's not uh, thrilled with it because he doesn't like tabs in general. But if you have 10 
links up, uh, 10 URL addresses. You could hit the one link uh, tab and it will make it into a nice list for you. You could then share that list with your students, with other teachers, and it's always going to be there for you. Yeah, I don't I don't like tabs just like as a rule, like up on my computer it just seems too crazy for me. But I have admitted recently we were speaking in front of a group, I forget where, and it just kind of clicked with me that one tab actually is really nice for what we're talking about today, which is curation, just because it is this kind of super easy list. And it does that unique thing uh, that I don't think any other curation resource does, which is it's good, it keeps all of your tabs in this list format. But then with with one click, it also kind of just opens all of them automatically so that then they're just like all right there as a bunch of different tabs in your Chrome browser. So I, I have to give it to one tab a little bit that it does, does do that really super well. You could also open that list of tabs one tab at a time. So if you only want to work with one, okay. you can do that as well. So I don't want to throw that out there, but I had to point that out to Nick because I know he <laughs> likes working with one tab at a time rather than seeing a whole bunch of them up there. Yeah. All right. So if we stay inside of G Suite, I know we talked about Google Keep and we talked about sites, but it is perfectly adequate to just use Docs or Sheets. Sheets is one of my favorites. It's underutilized in this way, I think. If you just take a sheet and you put different subcategories, you can hyperlink all these different resources under the subcategory and it kind of does what the Wakelet Shorts does. It gives you a little description of what everything under that column is. Yeah, I just did it the other day. If you want to talk about like maybe the quickest thing, quickest way to curate resources. I, we had a weird schedule where one class was here, but it, the next class was going to be in a, some kind of assembly. So they weren't going to be there. And I was kind of stressing out, like, how do I keep everybody on the same page? and, and on, But also not lose time. I don't want to waste this day. I just started throwing resources into a, a, Google, a Google Sheet just because I was like, well, for the classes that are here, they can work on it, you know, view the Google Sheet and work on it and view whatever I have for them, work on any assignments that are in there with whatever links I post. And then for the classes that weren't there, I still just send it to them and then it just kind of becomes homework for them or whenever our next class is, they can continue with it or ask me questions. And I didn't haven't, haven't really thought about that before as curation, but it really is. You're just really quickly without any kind of fancy formatting and just typing in essentially a list. And I think with Google Sheets, especially just because the nature of a spreadsheet, you can have different, I don't know if they call them tabs or different worksheets or something, but within that, um, so within that one Google Sheets tab on your Chrome browser, there's all sorts of different spreadsheets that you can open up for different things. And I was kind of playing around with that a little bit. So I know it seems like kind of the low hanging fruit there, but I don't think we can we can uh, stress enough how powerful just a simple Google Doc or Google Sheet uh, can be as a, as a curation tool. So that pretty much rounds out our, our list of tools. We wanted to keep it really simple, but really powerful. Uh, but stay tuned for what is my favorite part. And that is what are some specific projects that we can actually incorporate these tools with? time for the tech battle royale <laughs> nah just kidding that was our first uh year of podcasts uh and i do miss that segment i think i was up like 400 to like three i don't know about that but as you did that i did uh immediately get excited because it's been so long since we've tech paddled maybe we bring that back for year three of the podcast we'll have to see so let's get right into the segment we want to talk about different project types that go into student-centered learning and a lot of these types of projects we mentioned before so we'll just give a little brief synopsis of them but we're going to really focus on how a curated 
collection of resources really fits into each one of these uh, these uh, project ideas. Yeah. So one of them, is, one of my uh, personal favorites is uh, the idea of a hyperdoc. A hyperdoc, if you haven't heard of it or haven't heard us talk about it, it's really just a Google Doc that you fill with a bunch of, of links. Some of those links are resources. Some of those links are, you know, things that the students are supposed to do. And a hyperdoc can take students over the, cor- the course of an entire unit of study, or it can be as small scale as one particular day. They're, they'll complete this one particular hyperdoc. Uh, but really, you're using the Google Doc, like we talked about, in the last segment as a, as a way to curate resources for the kids, things they can view, things they can complete. And it's definitely one of the easiest and one of my favorite options on this list. So ch- definitely check out HyperDocs. Just so we can kind of paint what that would look like. So sometimes when I think of HyperDocs, I like to think of a logical progression, such as a bicycle wheel. And the middle is our main topic that we're trying, or maybe our main question that we're trying to solve. And each spoke coming off is a different resource or a different collection of resources or different kind of active ways of engaging with students. Um, That to me is the purpose of a hyperdoc is just that active learning and having each one of those resources be a link back to that central problem or or, uh, topic. So I just want to throw out a couple. Uh, and the reason why I'm throwing out a couple is they're all kind of related. Uh, and that being case studies, problem or project-based learning, and claims evidence reasoning. These are three of my favorite learning and teaching methods to use. And the reason is, is you always start off with some type of digital narrative or just a narrative in general. You could do that verbally in front of the class and then introduce them to the digital piece later. But for case studies and problem-based learning, project-based learning, claims, evidence, reasoning, you always start with that narrative that is going to get them to, I guess, create a question or a topic of study. And in order to do that, they need resources to kind of get them thinking in that way. It's sometimes a topic which they know a lot about and they could develop that question on their own, but other times they're going to need some type of a hook or some type of a uh, topic paper or a magazine article or something that's going to get them interested in this topic, get their brain thinking a little bit the wheel spinning yeah i love all, all three of those um and like like you said a lot of the times you want these things like a let's just say if you have your students write a claims evidence reasoning paragraph about some topic to answer some question yeah the writing is a part of it and getting them to use that writing style but also you need some learning to take place there so those resources that you post whatever tool you use to post them that's where the learning takes place and i think that uh, needs to really be emphasized here another one that i've just actually been working on recently i've i called it a, a a lab report help page but obviously this doesn't have to be unique to science labs this is really any written work could be an essay could be a, a, a story um, if your students are writing something you could give them a place to go where you've got resources curated where they can see maybe good examples and one of my favorite uh, writing tools is Purdue Owl, the writing lab. So that could be one. Purdue will cover APA style, MLA style, uh, Chicago. Uh, all those styles are there and it's an informative guide that's online and it's free for students to use. Another infographic that I like is the MEAL plan for writing. Uh, MEAL stands for main idea, evidence, analysis, and linkage. And that's your four major parts of a paragraph. And if you don't have those parts in there, you know, that paragraph probably could be written in a stronger 
better way. So those are two resources that I would put in there. And then maybe we want a citation machine of some sort. So you got the citation machine, you have RefWorks, uh, Bib Biblio, I think is another one or Bibworks, these all can be a part of this curated, you know, resource for the students. Yeah, and I just, whenever I get a good, for me in science at least, a really good lab report submitted, or if you have your students writing essays, whenever you get a really good essay, or even just a good paragraph, you just add it as an additional resource in your exemplar section. Or maybe you can type up your own examples of what not to do. Uh, give them uh, rubric help, you know, there's posted rubrics with different examples linked to there. So the possibilities are endless here, but definitely really, really super helpful. And the students love it because they see the value and the payoff in it immediately because it's helping them kind of refine this one finished project. I, I know that we uh, talked recently in one of our episodes about choice boards. And this is another area in which you can just have students look over the possible resources that they have to complete that choice board. So maybe one of the initial things is their research, which includes a list of resources. So I like, in my uh, choice boards, I like to put these, uh, one of the activities is just getting to know what your resources are that's gonna help this go quick. And to me, that is a valid homework assignment. That's something that they could do in a couple minutes, and all they have to do is open up one link, and there's your list of resources. So that's going to prepare them for the next day where they're going to be applying what, what they know and what they learned in this research page uh, into their active work, and I think that's key. I don't like to give uh, too much homework because I value family, I value experiences, but you know, having a just a five-minute peruse of the resources, I feel like that's something that they could do on their school bus ride home, or you know, as they get ready to go to bed or something. Yeah, well, it's supposed to be quick and, and easy, and that's what a lot of this is about. It's just making things easily accessible. Um, and along those lines, one of my favorite projects that I've started doing a, a lot more is a digital portfolio, having students demonstrate their mastery in ways other than your traditional test. So my, my kids do this a bunch of ways, but one of them is putting together a website that has a bunch of their learning as it relates to different elements or whatever it is. Um, but this could be any kind of digital portfolio. However, your students are putting this together. It doesn't have to be a website. You can, of course, curate resources specific to that. Maybe YouTube videos that show them tips on building, you know, sort of doing certain little tricks and tips for website building itself. Maybe other resources that relate specifically to the project. We've already mentioned posting links to exemplars. Here is a link to a website from a student that a student made three years ago. It's a really great one. They did an incredible job. This is what I'm looking for in terms of, you know, like the best possible, not the best, but like uh, maybe scores really high in the, in the creativity factor, something like that. But again, just places where the kids can go to get ideas, to see what's out there, to learn how to make it better and produce the best product possible, really. In one of our first episodes, well, our first episodes with a, someone else out there, a guest host, I should say, uh, with Kyle Nemus, we talked about the Universal Design for Learning, UDL. And uh, having these types of lists for our projects, these types of resources for our projects, really helps us level the playing field for all our students. So if you want to differentiate anything, you can have these in the uh, in this list of references, you could have uh, maybe different data collections for different levels of learners or different readings. If you use Newzella, uh, you could have different readings based on reading level. So that is another aspect to this. Um, 
that I wanted to kind of bring forward because oftentimes I feel like we forget about our advanced learners and our, you know, maybe our special ed students that might need a different approach to learning this stuff. So that's also another thing that you can throw in there. Yeah. So uh, there's some amazing project ideas. And really, I want to think we can end this by saying literally any project, you can curate resources for students to help them build a better project. So try out one of these try out curating some stuff for a project you already do. Either way, it's going to be really helpful and really enhance learning in your classroom. Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. Remember to subscribe to our show and follow us at We Got Tech on Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest episode releases, blog posts, product reviews, and PD announcements. You can also follow Geist and I individually at Geist Got Tech and at Nick Got Tech on Twitter or on Instagram at Nick Got Tech. Finally, remember to check out our website, gottech.com, where we post all our episodes, articles, and resources available to you for free. Until next time.